starting with Liverpool Spurs and we're starting with David Smith who from his impartial, impartial vantage point there in, uh, in Australia was watching this game. If uh, Firmino doesn't bang that header in injury time, David, was 1-1 a fair result or were Liverpool worthy winners, do you think? Depends on your perspective, I suppose, how you see the game. Um, Liverpool like dominate in terms of possession and overall shots, but you could argue then that Spurs had the better chances. Um like Spurs could have scored. I think Bergwijn probably could, he should have scored probably at least one of his two one-on-ones. One was he was under a lot of pressure and then Harry Kane missed the free header within the space of five minutes. But I think overall, I would have thought that Liverpool were deserving winners. Like they bossed the ball. They create a lot of chances. Um, and I think if you're going to surrender 80% of the ball to Liverpool at Anfield, you have to expect that they're going to create enough chances to probably win the game. So it's a risky strategy, but like one that we're used to, well used to seeing Mourinho kind of do with the big clubs and I mean it almost paid off a draw would have been a great result for Spurs um, the way it is I still think, think I don't think it's that massive a result it feels like a very big result I think for Liverpool but it's still only three points they've still got a lot of injuries and there's, there's going to be a lot more twists and turns so I think in the balance play Liverpool probably shaded it but Davey I'd be interested to see what you think um, about the Mourinho approach and whether or not do you think it was a fair result um, yeah I think I think that Mourinho complains about, you know, best team loss, but yeah, whenever you only have 20% possession, you know, he's relying on uh, Spurs being really clinical and they have been very clinical this year. And and the Son goal, um, Son and Kane in general have been very clinical, but, you know, it's it's the first, it's one of the first times where they've missed significant chances and not got the result. But that's that's part of football. Every team does that. Um, so overall, I think he, he can't really complain about the result. But you know, on another day, they they could have got something there. But I suppose you still have to be impressed by the way Spurs have are playing under under Mourinho. Um, it's it's amazing always how he's able to turn any team into his team so quickly. Like he, like if you look at their midfields, you know he's got sort of the, the Sissoko Hoiberg. Uh, duo are are just classic Mourinho midfielders, classic battlers, and he's really improved Spurs' defense. Um, so I think the way the season is, with it doesn't look like a team's going to get to ninety points. So Spurs, would, he'd be looking to get Spurs to seventy five or eighty points and seeing where that gets him. It's interesting with Tottenham; like there's such a not to be disrespectful to Tottenham fans, but they're sort of a faceless football image where when Mourinho went to United there was an expectation that they were going to play a certain way and it's the same thing at Real Madrid whereas at Tottenham it's a bit of a blank canvas and they just want to win trophies the fans and the players and what he's done is basically try to accentuate the positive with Son and Kane which is totally understandable where like Eric Dyer and a lampoon figure, like apart from that penalty scored in the World Cup, I think most people, the jury's very much out on him, if not has declared that he's not a very good player. But Mourinho isn't asking him to do much. 
you know, I think that's the difference. He's like, um, just do your defending, um, you know, and that's all you really need to do. And he's actually played quite well this season. I think it's when Pochettino was asking him to maybe step into midfield with the ball and that kind of stuff that his uh, shortcomings were exposed. And that's kind of true of a lot of players. Like he's improved Serge Aurier a lot. Um, that midfield looks very solid. And as I said, the, if you can get your strikers, like his front three, Son, Kane and Bergwijn all had big chances to win the game last night. Uh, Bergwijn, as, as David mentioned there, the second one in particular, like it, in fairness, it looked like he did everything right. You know, yeah. a couple of couple of inches more, it's cl- it clips the inside of the post and it goes in, and everyone's saying it's a great finish. And with Allison, he definitely has this sort of um, presence where you think you need a very precise finish to beat him, and that's a that's a great thing for a goalkeeper to have. Where like there's certain goalkeepers, you just feel like if you hit the target, it's going to go in. But now that's a big champions win for Liverpool, where. You know, everything didn't go their way and yet they still managed to grind it out. And it's all about those those corner, those set-piece goals with Jamie Carragher did a piece on a couple of weeks ago that that's the hallmark of champions as well. Like, those are almost free goals where it's a good delivery, it's a good contact on the header and that's three points, three valuable points. But Curtis Jones, David, I think, like, given the stature of the game and Liverpool obviously dropped points last weekend and while Spurs were coming for a draw, Liverpool were obviously... Like taking the onus on themselves to win the game and he really stepped up I thought to the point where when Thiago came in I thought he was going to be maybe a complimentary player Curtis Jones might pop up here and there but he took the game by the scruff of the neck last night I thought and uh, yeah. had a very good game Absolutely yeah I think he got the man in the match he even against Fulham it was such a dismal kind of Liverpool performance but he was one of the few bright sparks and I think it's like his rise has really been sudden. I know he played, he's shown in a couple of cup games last season, but like he's gone from basically that, like a cup player, to starting every week for Liverpool almost now with their injury crisis. And if there's one positive out of all the injuries, I think it's how the young players have flourished. Like Reese Williams made his first Premier League start up against Spurs, like one of the deadliest attacks in the league, particularly in the counter. I thought he did really well. Um, you've seen Quevin Keller in the last few weeks with Alisson out, how well he's done. But I think Jones has been the pick of the bunch. Um, I think he'd more second most touches on the pitch in the first half against Spurs and I think complete more passes than nearly every other player on the pitch as well. And he kind of sees driving runs. He brings up. Liverpool are often accused of having midfielders are very similar. And that was the whole thing where bringing in Thiago, he gives a different element. But I think Jones is actually very different to what they have as well. He's quite dynamic. He's good at dribbling with the ball. Um, he's got a good eye for goal as well and even he played quite a good role in the first goal even though it was ultimately unsuccessful dribble it kind of fell for Salah to get that deflected shot away so I think he's a huge future based on what we've seen this season and as you said I think he's probably even pinching himself that he's getting such game time but he's definitely seizing the opportunity and just from a Liverpool perspective generally in the court of Liverpool fans opinions how big a goal was that for Firmino just to sort of Reestablish himself as a, as a goal scorer at crucial moments. Yeah, huge. I think he's been getting a lot of flack this season. I think, um, like the narrative of we as we previously discussed has been if you were to lose one player at the front three, it couldn't be Firmino, which is possibly like the Paul's goals type overcompensation for people thinking he's not getting enough credit for his role. Um, but I think he needed, especially with Jada injured now as well. It's even highlighted more. And his flying start has almost hurt Firmino's 
it's been easier to detract from him as well or criticize his lack of goals. But he does have a tendency. He scored the winner against Spurs last season as well. He kind of, I think, thrives in some of the big games. He gets more space and a lot of his work is selfless. So it is nice to see him. I think you could see from the celebration that it was huge for him even to score the goal. So hopefully he'll kick on. I don't think he's ever going to be a player who hits a purple patch and scores 25, 30 league goals a season. I don't I don't think he thinks like a natural striker, but he is, when he's at his best, I think he improves Liverpool immeasurably. So hopefully that's a confidence boost he needs to kind of kick on now over the busy Christmas schedule. Yeah, it's a funny one. Just the Theo Walcott thing I was talking about recently and he happened to score yesterday, but the whole thing when he was coming through at Arsenal that he wanted to play through the middle because like historically that's where goal scorers get their goals. But Liverpool much like a lot of the teams in Europe these days, the central player, even though Firmino is wearing number nine, he is like that complimentary player where the actual goal threat comes from wide. And it's true when John is playing, but especially when, when Salah and Mane are there as well. But no, Davy, I think at the start of the year, when we did our predictions, we had Liverpool as fair and favourites for the title. And then when Van Dijk went down, I think there was a little bit of reticence from Liverpool fans and everybody in general, but, you have to say they've coped with it really well. What's your overall take on how Liverpool have, have done things since that Merseyside derby? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, they really haven't had much luck with injuries. They've had several players come down and various setbacks, but, you know, there there has been a bit of the Ferguson United about them. They've, you know, they've always found a way. And I think it's really been interesting that um, Salah's had a, an excellent season, but... Before that game, Firmino hadn't played that well and Man is on a bit of a goal drought. And it's actually been um, some fringe players and young players, as, as David said, that have stepped up to the plate, like uh, Jones, keeping Keller in that match. Wignal has been very good. Um, Jota was an excellent signing. Um, and he's actually been much better than I thought he would be. Um because I, I didn't see that that level at, at Wolves, but that's that just seems to be the magic of um, Liverpool's recruitment, that they're able to see a player that's ready to move on to the next level. Um, and also have to point out Fabinho at centre-back, who's, who's not playing his natural position, but looks looks very comfortable there. And is sort of playing the Van Dijk role of um, being able to step up, but also be able to do the, the dirty defending. So... Um, there's a lot to, you know, they have been very resilient, but at the same time, you know, you feel there is a title race because, they, you know, they are vulnerable and it's not like last season when they were winning every game. Like, um, I can't see them really going on a, on a long run of wins this year either. Um, I think it's going to be tight, but they're still going to be the team to beat after that win against Spurs yesterday. And I think... David, even if Liverpool did win a title race of that ilk where it is competitive, I know, like Liverpool were just far and away the best team last year and that was an achievement in itself. But to grind one out, absent, you know, Virgil van Dijk, who many would consider Liverpool's best player and one of the best players in the world. Like if Liverpool can win a league without him, it's testament to Klopp, who seems a little bit irritable at the moment and is probably feeling the pressure like most managers. But if he can grind out a title and that group, which is the remarkable thing really when the personnel's not there and yet Liverpool still play the same style and persevere. And like last night was was evidence of that. But 
they just have this sort of champions way about them where they, it doesn't feel like they're going to get through it. And there's no obvious second team. Like Spurs are obviously the closest to them, but you saw last night their credentials to go and dominate this league aren't there. They basically went to play for a draw last night. Man City just aren't at it. Chelsea have faltered already, like two successive defeats. We might chat about them in a minute, but Liverpool look in a very strong position. I'd be interested just on your opinion on the comfort level, like for Liverpool fans watching this decimated defence, like Davy mentioned, Fabinho has looked very accomplished. But the, like one little example last night was that route one from Spurs where I think Kane won the initial header and then Son won a second header and all of a sudden they're going straight through. Like that doesn't happen when Virgil van Dijk's there. Have there been instances like that in Liverpool games where you maybe feel a little bit less safe when, when your first choice back four is not there? Absolutely. But I think um, obviously Van Dijk is, you know, probably the best centre-back in the world. I certainly would rate him as it. But um, there were concerns, I think, since COVID with Liverpool, since they won the league, where they weren't really at it last season. It was kind of attributed to celebrations or um, just they taking the foot off the gas. But even, like, people forget that Van Dijk played the 7-2 defeat to Aston Villa. Um, there's been a lot of mistakes, but like, a lot of change of personnel. I think in midfield too as well, when you drop Fabinho back to centre-back, he's been, just how he's adapted has been incredible. I think he did a first against Chelsea and there was one incident where he's one-on-one against Timo Werner and I think people would have been fearing for the worst, but just his timing of his tackle is exceptional and as Davey said, he's stepping out, but he's also marshalling the defence quite well. He's very vocal. Um, but I do think that there are, he's not obviously not a natural centre-back and then he's had a combination of partners beside him. Joe Gomez is out now for quite a while. Um, Joel Matip has his own ongoing. He seems to get a lot of injuries, niggly injuries. And then the two other options really are um, Reese Williams and Al Phillips who are two young, very inexperienced players. So I think Liverpool are going to concede goals. They can't rely on last season where they're going to comfortably see out one or two nil leads. I think it's going to be almost harking back to the earlier Klopp years where games are a bit more frantic um, and less control. But you saw that against Fulham, they're conceding kind of stupid goals that they wouldn't have conceded last year with Van Dijk. But I think for that reason, Davy could be right that they might struggle to put together a long string of wins. But um, I'm still quite confident. I think they will win the league again. I think Spurs have been admirable and will push them close. But I think Liverpool will just have enough to get over the line. Do you, th- do you see them winning the league, Ronan, yourself? Yeah, just because I think when we were speaking last season, at the start of this season, I felt like in the normal season, like a non-COVID-19 hit campaign, that Liverpool would be a benefit to the league where other teams would realise they'd have to get to their level. And that's not going to be the case this year because Liverpool have regressed just by nature of the... They, they haven't got the biggest squad in the world and the games are coming thick and fast and they've lost key players that they have come back to the pack a little bit. But they, they are by far the best team because every other team has suffered in that regard as well, it would seem. And... Maybe the teams like Chelsea would, are probably still a year away trying to get all those cogs in the right places for Lampard's team. Whether he's the right man uh, to actually do that job, we, we might chat about as well. And then Man City, that does feel like it's in the dying numbers in the Guardiola reign. Like I was surprised he signed a new contract. There yeah. could be a, a sense that he signed that contract just so people would stop asking him, are you going to sign a new contract? And he, he might well walk away in the summer. It looks like he's fed up with that place and they're almost fed up with him, as crazy as it sounds. But yeah. I think everybody needs a, 
sort of a fresh start and Silva's already gone like people always mention company and, and yeah yeah are gone but like Aguero will be gone at the end of this season Gabriel Jesus there's talk of him going back to the Brazilian league so that project hasn't quite worked either so in, you have to make Liverpool favourites just by dint of the, the lack of a clear number two contender and we should probably touch on Tottenham before we leave this game and I know Davy broke down their lack of possession but David, I know a lot of your family are Spurs fans. Like, what is the feeling? Is um, I think this time last year, everyone was surprised when they got rid of Pochettino and brought Mourinho in. But you have to say it has worked. Like, they, they seem revitalised. Certain players who were wilting a little bit under Pochettino have, have uh, like, flourished again. And the, the most notable thing, and it struck me, that you'd have to say Mourinho's been backed in the transfer market in a way that Pochettino wasn't like famously Pochettino got Spurs to the Champions League final and didn't really get much backing around that either so in terms of the Mourinho project as a whole David what are, you, what are your thoughts are they legitimate contenders or is this sort of an early season flash in the pan? I think they are but I think they're very clever at playing themselves down also uh, Mourinho's the kind of the master of that but I think he's been like if someone had told you a year ago, after say that Champions League final, that Pochettino will be sacked within half a season. Jose Mourinho come in and Deli Ali will be relegated to the sidelines. Slash, not making the squad. He'd be head and hands. I think. Like I don't, I don't know any Spurs supporters who at the time were pleased to see Pochettino go. I think you have to say Mourinho's really. They're gradually improving. I think he signed very cleverly in the summer as well. Uh, he strengthened the fullback positions. Hoybjerg's been a fantastic addition, and even. More so impressive, I think, is how he's worked with players like Ndombele, who looked like a just a disaster signing in the last season under Pochettino and Mourinho. He looked unfit, he looked uninterested or disinterested, and I just thought they were going to ship him out pretty soon. But I think people worried about Harry Kane. How would Harry Kane play? Harry Kane's playing the football of his career, son too. Their goal-scoring records are off the charts. Kane's assists, obviously. And Gareth Bale hasn't even really featured yet. So I think that was a calculated risk. That was, But I think Spurs are going to, like, they're only three points off despite that defeat at Anfield. I don't think in, uh, a title tilt is going to hinge on Anfield either. I think it's Spurs are really going to have to be consistent against the smaller teams who will sit in and try and frustrate them. The record against the top teams has been fantastic this season under Mourinho. So I think if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be pretty happy. They look nailed on for top four. Um, which I'm sure everyone would have taken in the summer. Uh, it's almost ahead of schedule, I'd say, this title push. I know it's the Mourinho second season syndrome, but I, I've been really impressed. So I think they'll be there, thereabouts for a lot of the season. And Davey, I touched on Man City there. Obviously had a bit of a uninspiring draw with West Brom midweek, which uh, led to Slavin Bilic's sacking, as perverse as that sounds. But a draw at Man City got him the boot, but... What have you made of Man City this season in terms of the the whole project there? Um, it's it's been a, it's been a little bit underwhelming. Um, I think I, I saw um, Simon Stone from the BBC put up a stat that they hadn't conceded a goal in in ten hours, and then but f- five minutes later they conceded a goal. But um, it was a typical commentator's curse. But um, the balance just doesn't seem to be right there at, at City. Like, um, you know, when, when Guardiola first came, um, they, they were so good at, at winning the ball back high up the pitch. And then 
you know, with, with Sané and Sterling wide on the wings, you know, they just demolished teams with cutback goals and they just they just haven't been able to replicate that. Like when when they played when they went to Old Trafford and played Fernandinho and Rodri in defensive midfield, that that wasn't a very Guardiola move, but it was because he's he's just so afraid of the counterattack and he doesn't trust the players to, to stop the counterattack. And then as a result, they just they didn't offer anything at Old Trafford. And um, he, that balance means that um, they, they really struggle up front if, this, if they improve the defence. It reminds me a little bit of Van Gaal's United at times, where um, whenever he, he plays more cautiously, it, it's, just, it's, it's very one-dimensional and, and hard to watch. And um, also, he, he's, he's made some erratic decisions among, among substitutes in the last few games, um, considering that, you know, he was a big, he was very much in favour of five subs. But, you know, not bringing on Mares against West Brom and only using one substitute whenever you need a goal. And um, see him against um, Man United, not using all the subs. It was, it's been kind of strange that way. Um, so they have a lot of problems, but um, I think that it, it's really like you know it's, it's really a bit of a stalemate at the moment. Um, like there's a chasing pack there, and anyone could emerge, even Man City, because there, there, there's only a few points between uh, so many rivals. David, what are you made of Man City? I think the fear factor is probably gone um, in City, but I think. You mentioned Rona, like players moving on, like Silva, obviously companies a couple of years ago now, but I don't think that they're improving upon the positions when other players are leaving. Like I look at Sane, letting Sane go to Bayern Munich. I used to regard Mara as good a player as he is, as the weakest of that front four, if you're talking Aguero, Sterling, Sane. And Mares was kind of the man who'd come on for half an hour or be rotating. But now he's the key, one of the key forwards. I think, as you mentioned, Ronan, the Jesus thing hasn't really worked and it's felt like Ardiola's been trying to get rid of Aguero in a strange way for years but he's still their most important attacker other than Sterling I just think there's an over-reliance on Kevin De Bruyne the Rodri thing I don't think has really worked either um, I just I think he's a good player but I'm not sure I think Fernandinho is probably he's in his mid-30s now he's coming to the tail end of his career and I don't think Rodri is the player that they need to replace Fernandinho so there's a lot of issues. He spent about six billion on the back four um, to bring in players who I think Diaz looks like a good signing, and I'm a big fan of Laporte, but I still don't think they've any outstanding fullbacks. Um, they're all of us kind of a certain level, and as Davy said, they're still vulnerable to the counter, which is something which has never really been addressed. So I'm interested in Gronin. Do you think they'll still like his top four? What is the aim for them now? Do you think they could have a say in the title race, or is that already gone? Yeah, I think when it all settles down. They probably are best equipped to to finish second. You know, I think they have the know-how and they will put a run together in a way that most teams probably can't. But I'm saying that from on the assumption that they will get their form back. And as you touched on there, Aguero is a, a key part of that because unless they pivot to like having Sterling play as a number nine and try and get some something working that way, or Rory Delapson gets a run in, in through the middle. Or, or they actually sign someone in January, like throw, do what Pep always does and throw another 100 million at the problem and see, see if that works. Um, but I think 
it's just it's difficult to know. Like you do feel, given the money that they've spent, they should have a better team. You know what I mean? Like their first choice yeah. eleven, like United were seemingly in crisis going into that Manchester derby, and then you look at the two 11s on paper, and you're like, uh, granted, United probably weren't psychologically right after the defeat in Leipzig, but if United had it about them to go for it, you look at the midfields, you look at the the front lines, and United are every bit as dangerous. So I think in the long run. It doesn't bode overly well for Man City. I don't know what the succession plan looks like because, as we know, Guardiola, he's already overstayed his welcome a little bit in the sense that I think three years is his average term at, at a club. So I don't know if there's someone lined up or are they going to do what most clubs do and go in a totally different direction once he's gone. Like I remember when they like transplanted the Barcelona hierarchy, Sariano and all these guys into Man City and that was almost going to be like we have an academy line and we're going to we're gonna self-produce. But Phil Foden looks like a good, a good player to me and Guardiola hasn't trusted him yet in, in big games. So it's, it's, it's a difficult one for them long term. I think, to your, to your point, I do think Man City probably will be in the title mix in so much as they can, but um, it doesn't look good for them in terms of the bigger picture. Yeah. Speaking of bigger picture... Like I think people were willing to give Frank Lampard the benefit of that last season, given he didn't have the funds to recruit. But now they've made up for last time, David. They've signed about 17 players in the summer there and uh, a mixture of youth and experience. Uh, Frank's young team has been supplemented by 53-year-old Thiago Silva and a few others. But <laughs> Chelsea are a difficult, difficult one. They seem, to, they seem to have to act together more than they did. And yet... That's two back-to-back defeats in crushing fashion where I thought they were outplayed by Everton and played right into Wolves' hands. I don't know how much of that game you saw, but like Wolves were always going to score a second goal the way Chelsea were like basically putting the counter-attack on a platter for them. And um, like Are Chelsea, are they title contenders? And is Frank Lampard the man to make them that? Yeah, the Chelsea one's an interesting one. I think a couple of weeks ago really looked like they were putting a good string of performances and results together and you're thinking they could be right in this title mix but as you said it's it's kind of ups and downs with them at the minute I think it's almost reminds me of like the Liverpool or Spurs thing of splashing all this money that they get on like nine players and then hoping it gels but it's on a way bigger scale because there's these nine superstars that they've signed essentially but I think you look at like players like Havertz and stuff and even with Werner I think he's still trying to juggle and find the best position in the system to fit as many in as possible and then he's also got the onus of players like Tammy Abram and Mason Mount to the whole narrative last year about these homegrown players and this is the future. He still has to keep them involved too. So I don't know. I still think Chelsea's defence looks a bit suspect at times. Um, I think Chilwell was a very good signing. Like on paper, I think a lot of the signings will pay off in the long run, but it might just be too much too soon, I think, this year. Like his top four and a trophy, is that a good season for Chelsea? I know before the season, the ball was kicked, we were talking about them potentially winning the league. So, um, she's, uh, it depends. I mean, do you rate Frank Lampard as manager, Ronan? Has he got a style of play? Like, I know this is a criticism that's levelled at Solskjaer, but I think Solskjaer has sort of a, a paradigm of, like, sort of try and be robust defensively and, and hit teams in the break, which is kind of like people try and glamorize what Alex Ferguson uh, did in large part, but in big games, like it wasn't, 
it wasn't against against his philosophy to go to Anfield, sit back and and hit Liverpool on the break, for example. So I think Solskjaer, people levelling that criticism, I haven't really understood, but that's another conversation we can get into United. But Lampard, it seems like he chops and changes from game to game. You're never quite sure... Like what system he prefers. Kepa was made the scapegoat, which was kind of fair enough given his uh, goals to save ratio was, was pretty terrible. But like um, Mendy has been solid, but hasn't covered himself in glory in every game. So it's not as if they can lean on that as a crutch anymore. They they have looked defensively more stable this season, but they have been a lot more conservative this season. So like last season, they were a bit more freewheeling, scoring plenty of goals, but conceding. They've like the nil-nil against Spurs. That game was never to take in. Neither team looked like they wanted to win it. Um, they were quite lucky to get a nil-nil at Old Trafford, but that was off the back of last season where they lost 4-0 at Old Trafford. So these are the kind of things, I think he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in terms of what he wants to get out of this Chelsea team. It's a funny one. You'd think this season, given the cast of talent he has, that this would be the year he'd want to be, you know, sort of freewheeling and, and throwing attacking talent at it. But yeah. It's actually it was actually last season when he had Frank's fledglings or whatever the people were calling them that he was um, letting Tammy and and all the lads run riot. But I think it's it's definitely an interesting project. Chelsea are on the up, but Lampard will get the benefit of the doubt given his his legend status there. But I'm not sure whether he is is the right man to to get them back to to winning titles. Uh, Davy, what have you made of Chelsea in general? Yeah, I've actually actually been quite impressed by Chelsea, um, and then you know that's just the with with the quick fire fixtures. You know they've lost two games in a row, and it's just completely changing them. I think um, Everton are ahead of them in the table now, which just show, shows how quickly it can change. But um, I think they they've addressed the the signs have generally been good. They've addressed a lot of their issues. Um, Kepa was was a real flop of a goalkeeper and Mendy looks a lot more solid. Um Alonso was was really a, a wing back um rather than a full back and Chilwell has proved them a lot there. Uh, Thiago Silva's given them the experience at centre back. So they've they've improved a lot um defensively and he's he's moved Kante towards defensive midfield instead of Jorginho, which I think has Kante doing uh, the best Using his best skills, but um, yeah, as you said, I you know there's, there's a lot of pressure on, on Lampard now. He he won't say that, but you know when Abramovich gets the money out, generally he expects a title challenge. Um, and if they continue this run of form, then um, even if Lampard is a is a Chelsea legend, then he'll uh, he'll struggle to keep his job. Um, because if you look, I think they probably have the best squad now in. The Premier League, if you look when everyone's fit, you know, the sort of the sort of players that, that can't even get a game regularly, like Hudson and Doy, um, they have Abraham and Giroud, Werner, uh Hudson and Doy, Zayek, you know, Havertz. Even, even Ross Barkley and uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek, who like if similar if those players were at other clubs in similar stature, they'd probably be in the squad and Chelsea can't even yeah. find room for them in their in the yeah. Premier League squad. So. Yeah, so it's 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 an embarrassment of riches, really, for Lampard. So, um, I think the pressure's on now that he has to find a way. As I said, he they've been changing, chopping and changing the first team. So, um, you know, the onus is on Lampard to find his best eleven. 
Right, so we'll move on to United now, lads. And Davey, full disclosure, we're recording this before um, Sheffield United. Mm-hmm. Presumably you're going to get their first victory of the season against Man United tonight, given we're having this conversation. But just, um, it's been a weird old season, hasn't it? Because the game in Paris against PSG, followed by the game at home to Leipzig, and it looked like United were on course to at least uh, make some noise in Europe. And then it's all gone off a cliff a little bit. And yet you look at the league table and United have two games in hand. One of them is Sheffield United, as we mentioned. The other one is Burnley, which wasn't played at the start of the season. And if United win those two games, they're second in the table, you know, a couple of points behind Liverpool. So with all that in mind, uh, what has been your take on the first quarter of the season uh, for United this year? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit like the, the song said, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Nobody gets too far like that. I think that, uh, you know, United at the, are a feast or famine team in a way. You know, the, when they're at it, they're, they're really good. But, you know, they can throw in half an hour, you know, an hour spells and games where they're just absolutely abysmal. And it's, it's very fr- frustrating to watch as a fan. Like, for example, recently against West Ham, like I thought the first half against West Ham was as, as bad as United played under Solskjaer. Yet by the end of the game, they're they're sort of comfortable winners after, you know, a blitz in the second half by Bruno and Rashford. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a strange sort of season. Um, the Champions League was a was a big blow after such a such a brilliant start, but I don't think United were good enough really to go on a run in the Champions League anyway. And if they if they'd finished second in the group, I think their opponents were looking at. So Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, or Juventus. So I think they would have struggled to go through there anyway. But um, in the league, yeah, their their away form has, has has stayed pretty much the best in the league. Um, because I think it's just the way that Solskjaer sets up for games. He sets up for the counter attack, and they have the players for that. And um, but you know, they United have. Issues and it's it's hard to see them sustain a title run. Um, at times, I think they've they've been carried by Bruno Fernandes, who, um, you know, all aspects of his game, um, and even just his personality, his his leadership on the pitch, he's he's carried them at times, and they've they've really struggled. And um, when he hasn't played, I, I'd really worry if if he is serious injury that United would just fall off a cliff. What do you yeah, think, Bruno? Because- in theory, David, when Danny van der Beek was signed, it was almost like a, a rotation option. And the assumption was that it would, Bruno Fernandes and Pogba would be in Man United starting 11, but it hasn't quite worked out like that, where I think the defeat to Tottenham humbled them a little bit, where um, Solskjaer seems to favour having two holding midfielders in the team um, in big games. And that means that it really is only Bruno Fernandes bringing creativity to the table and to Davy's point there, like it is an over-reliance by definition that if he is your central hub of creativity that, you know, if he's not at it, United aren't at it. And thankfully uh, this year he has actually turned up in most games, but it is a lot of pressure for him. Someone who wasn't even at the club a year ago has probably had the impact that United fans were hoping Paul Pogba was going to have when he arrived. And it kind of puts in stark perspective that issue, which is uh, Mino Raiola's forever in the headlines, uh, talking about Pogba's long-term future. But 
I presume you're not overly threatened by United as a as a title contender, but what have you made of them or what have you made of their start of the season? I think, yeah, they're just so inconsistent. As Davey said, it's like one step forward and two steps back. I think inconsistent as a team and then they've got a lot of inconsistent players who are extremely talented. But like you look at Anthony Marshall would drive me insane, as I often say. Um, I think Max Rashford's fantastic, but he can also kind of flare hot and cold. I think Mason Greenwood's obviously still very young. It's a lot of pressure on him. And then Pogba, obviously, is the prime example. But yeah, to go back to the midfield thing, I think you're right that Solskjaer likes to have his two holding players. So for me, I'd be looking at Salem Paul Pogba. Um, I think it's just gone on long enough. As you've mentioned, like Bruno's had the impact that people hope Pogba would have. Bruno's worthy of building a team around, whereas I'm not sure if that time has shown that Pogba is reliable enough to do so. So I'd be looking at selling him and trying to get Van de Beek into the team and maybe invest in the Pogba money in a top, like somewhere else in the team, whether it's in defence or for a top class holding player. If you're going to play two holding players, um, I think Fred and Matic, McTominay, all of their strengths, but there be, it might be more beneficial to bring in one truly world class holding midfielder. Um, yeah, I think the issue is. It's hard to assess then. I mean, everyone since Ferguson's obviously had all the, a lot of issues managing United. So from the outside, it's hard to tell. Like, would you two be happy to stick with Solskjaer? Do you think, at least for the end of the season, next summer heading into next season, would you be happy with Solskjaer? If you say Man United finish maybe third or fourth um, and maybe win a cup, would you, or do you think a change is needed? Can he only take them so far? Personally, I think it'd be interesting to hear what Davey thinks. Maybe I read tinted glasses on, but I think this is probably the the best position United have been in from like a squad strength perspective, and even the brand of football at times. Like Moyes didn't know what he was doing. He was put in an unfortunate position where he basically was given Ferguson's team and asked to do the same thing with it, and that was never going to work. Van Hal, sterile possession. You know, had moments where it clicked, but. For the most part, it was possession for possession's sake. Mourinho, for whatever, we might be fans of his personality or his management style, like what the product on the pitch is, uh, you know, less than inspiring. Whereas there have been certain times, and Davy can speak to this, where like you have been off your seat watching United and like the Southampton second half was exhilarating. The West Ham comeback was great. But like at the same time, the caveat to that is are United just playing in moments, as Gary Neville says, where is there pattern to these comebacks? Like, or is it just moments of brilliance, whether, whether it be Cavani against Southampton or, you know, what they did against West Ham, where it was just flashes of brilliance. But on the whole, I would say for all the all out hashtags you tend to see when United don't win uh, games, I think given his relative lack of experience and the fact that if he wasn't the United legend, he probably wouldn't be in this job. I think he has done a good, like a good job on the whole purging the squad of like getting rid of the likes of Sanchez and, yeah. and doing his best with the dead wood. Like to think that Marcus Rojo and Phil Jones are still on the payroll, given what was done in previous regimes where they were given contract extensions when they were clearly not good enough. And there's many players in that boat, but, like if I was giving him a grade, I'd probably give him like a, a C plus, B minus, and that's pretty creditable given the, the position he was in. Third place was an overachievement last year. Getting the three semifinals a disappointment, just the nature of semifinals. You'd like to have won at least one of them and, and have a chance to wear. But what's your what are your thoughts on it, Davy? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because I think 
if if Solskjaer suddenly lost his job, um, I'm not sure what Premier League team would take him, just based on his, his managerial record. But you know, it's there's, there's many cases in history of you know a, a, a former player or official coming into a into a club and they know how the club works and and are working quite well. Like Zidane at Real Madrid would be a recent modern example. Um, so I think like yeah, as you said, you know, there's been probably more great moments under Solskjaer than any any manager since Ferguson. Um, and you know, it, it does it does make a difference that you know what he says in in press conferences and how he understands the club. You know, it's it's not like Mourinho talking about you know football heritage and stuff like that. You know, Solskjaer is always talking about the team, and it, it does kind of help the United fans get behind him. Um, but I I just worry about sort of long term if if he's going to be good enough. Um, coach compared to someone when when Pochettino is available. I mean, Pochettino, you know that you're going to get a very structured, high pressing, modern game, um, and you just don't know if you're with Solskjaer if there's a massive overall plan or not. Um, so I would have my reservations, but I'm willing to give him a chance for the time being. Funny, I think like it's hard to gauge him tactically how shoot he is or what the long-term plan is, like we talked about style, where Ron was saying, yeah, he, do, he does seem to have that kind of count, sitting deep and building robust defence and hitting teams on the counter. But you look at games like the Leipzig game where they just dismantle Leipzig. Um, and they've, like he's done a number on Pep Guardiola. He's done a number on a lot of opposition managers in big games since he's come into United. So I think the transfer market's a big thing as well. Like you talk about Pochettino coming in, but that arguably helped spell the end of his time at Spurs as well, that cycle where the, probably the transfer dealings weren't up to scratch as he tried to take the team forward again and rebuild. So, like, Solskjaer thought he was getting Jadon Sancho. He got Edison Cavani, who's a great player, and a free transfer. But um, something we've spoken about before where I think the transfer structure and strategy since Ferguson has left has been shambolic at best. So, like, how much of that do you think do you think Solskjaer would be further along in his development with the team had he been given the players that he wanted, Ronan? Yeah, the Sancho one is particularly annoying because the inevitability of one of Liverpool's front three leaving and being replaced by Jadon Sancho and United fans having to watch Jadon Sancho tear it up at Anfield, like, we just know that's going to happen. But like, in terms of the season just gone, like, it was pretty much public knowledge that that was his number one target and it was going to be a key signing for the team. And you've seen um, him have to revert to a diamond, which like he never played um, before this season, just given that there are no wingers in the squad, like zero wingers in the squad. And um, that's for someone who wants to play the traditional Manchester United way of wingers and to have no wingers to, to deploy kind of speaks volumes. But um, it is a difficult one to transfer like I don't know how much control he has it does seem a little bit ad hoc their their recruitment policy where Donny van de Beek just became available for a good price and they decided to pull the trigger on it like I think it was a, it was a good signing in the grand scheme of things but like the names they were linked with were Jack Grealish and James Madison and Jaden Sancho up in Mocano these kind of players and, and none of them came through the door Edison Cavani seemed like a panic buy the fact that it was done on transfer deadline day, even though 
he could have been signed at any point before or after, you know, kind of elevates that, that notion a little bit. But I think when you look at the signings he's made, Aaron Wamasaka, I don't want to use the word raw for a 50 million plus player, but he's got the defensive credentials seemingly, probably lacks a little bit of like in the box awareness where like he seems to get caught on those balls to the back post a bit, as was shown against Leipzig. But as a one-on-one defender, I think he's probably maybe the best in the world or certainly among that crop. And that's probably the hardest thing to teach. You can't really teach that a recovery pace or, you know, that wherewithal, like when to make the tackle, he seems to have that down. I think if, and we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but if there was a Jaden Sancho there and Wan-Bissaka wasn't relied upon to make good deliveries and he was like almost a diversion in the way Gary Neville was, where he just keep bombing past the winger and almost opens up space for the winger, that that could be his role as, a, as an attacking force. But yeah, I think Wan-Bissaka was a good signing. Maguire, I think the jury's out on him a little bit, but... On the whole, I think he's been pretty solid, certainly an upgrade on, on what was there. The price tag is always going to count against him. But um, those two signings have been good. Um, Bruno Fernandes has been probably the most transformative signing United have had in about 15 years. It's hard to think of the, of, of one like it in, in recent memory. Since Van, Van Persie, I would say, he's probably had the biggest impact, would you say? Or is yeah. it been anyone since? No, probably Van Persie, like, given he, he delivered the title. His the, the sort of catalyzing impact, and we said it earlier that we almost expected Pogba to do this, but Fernandez, he's United's best player, and yet he leads by example. He's the one that presses the ball. He's the one that like turns up for every game. It doesn't matter if it's Brighton or if it's PSG. He almost plays to the same level, and that's not true of certain players, Anthony Martial, notably that you mentioned, but. It's just it's such a hard one to judge. I, I like, I think United are in a good place, but to get to where they really want to be, it's hard to see if if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be the man for that. I have two questions for you both. A, well, one, would you keep Paul Pogba or would you sell him either in January or in the summer? And two, do you think do you each think that Man United will make the top four or push for the title if you're being extra? I think Pogba Pogba's definitely going to go in the summer. I don't know who's going to take him, though. Like um, Barcelona and Real Madrid have openly said they're recruiting young players, and like as mad as it is, I think Pogba's probably seen his best days, at, like athletically. So I, his next big contract's probably going to be at the likes of PSG or, or maybe Juventus at a push if they can put the funds together. I don't know if you know I can do some sort of swap deal, but this is definitely his last season. I think the writing's on the wall there, and I think they probably will get top four. Um, given like Arsenal aren't aren't at the party Chelsea Chelsea and Spurs I'm not sure Man City I think United given the the level of uncertainty I think they're playing at a good enough standard where they can they can pull out enough games and their their home form will eventually come back to par and they will start getting wins at home and if they can keep their away form on any sort of comparative level to the way it is now that should be enough to get top four I think um, yeah, I think you need to sell Pogba. I think uh, that 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 last um, Raiola comment really straw that broke the camel's back just before the Leipzig game, and actually played very well when he came on against Leipzig. But you know, I think 
everyone's just sick of those sort of statements. You know, if he doesn't want to be there, um, he's not really playing well enough to to justify. Like, if he wants to leave, he wants to leave. Um, but yeah, the problem with with suitors and how much money he's going to want for the, his next club, because um, teams are probably going to look at his wages and think we can just get him for a free transfer in a few years. So, you know, United might be left with him in, in limbo for, for a while. Like I wouldn't rule out sort of a, an Ozil situation. Maybe it's in the future with him. Um, and um, what was the other question? Again? Will they get top four? Oh, top four. Um, I, I think they might struggle actually. Um, I think, if I'm going to pick top four at this point, Spurs have been better than I thought they'd be. Um, I, I think Chelsea have a lot of potential. So I think Man City will hit a certain level. So I think it's it's going to be a struggle, I think. Um, and if if they, after going out of the Champions League, if, if they don't get top four, um, I think, you know, Solskjaer's job will really be in jeopardy. Um, but they, it's, it's really going to be um, a close call between, and uh, it's just the season that it is. It's it's so tight at the moment, um, that even you know, I think the the likes of Southampton and Everton, even you know, it's it's not the sort of season that it is. It's, it's not impossible that you could see a run from a a non fancy team for top four also. And David, it's almost indicative of the fact that we haven't mentioned Arsenal in this conversation at all, and they were kind of in the mix in our pre-season preview, but it seemed a little bit rosy when they got the win at Old Trafford and Thomas Partey had a very good game. It looked like oh, the recruitment's good. They've got a style of play coming off the back of an FA Cup win and an impressive performance in the community shield against Liverpool that maybe they're there. Creditable performance at Anfield. You know, they, they weren't um, they weren't cared by it. Like, they, they, they played pretty well even in defeat, but it's kind of gone off the rails entirely and... Yeah. Garrett's not here, so we can't go too in depth on on the uh, the micro side of it. But what has your take been on Arsenal this season? Yeah, like it just seemed to be, as you mentioned, that game at Old Trafford, like they that was a real Arsenal of old performance, and there was a lot of you know Roy Keane was in the Sky Sports studio afterwards hyping up Thomas Partey, and people said they've got the spine now with Gabriel coming in. They're looking a lot tougher. They're playing. Tim Cahill was arguing that they're playing in Arteta's image. They've got a defined style they know why when they lose they know why they lose but you look at them and I know you've seen these outrageous statistics by how many crosses they're putting in the box they don't have the players to play that way um, even like down to the minuscule things like Hector Bellerin's on five failed throws this season in the league you're like if ever there was a symbol of a club being in disarray like that's pathetic from a professional footballer I think on paper, I thought their business was good in the summer. Um, the William one, I mean, he came in and had an instant impact in the first day. You're thinking, this could be a shrewd bit of business here. But that hasn't really panned out. I think Pepe is still 70 million signing, who is kind of a fringe player. He's playing against Dundalk in the Europa League. Is like his, um, I just don't know where they are at Arsenal. I like Arteta, and he speaks very well, and people speak very well of him, and he seems quite articulate and very football savvy, but there's something just not clicking and I don't know if it's a rut. Aubameyang, since he signed that contract, hasn't struggled. I think he scored one goal at the right end and one goal at the wrong end. So there's definitely issues there. I mean, 
Ozil's obviously it's a statement to leave him out and it's it's fair enough when you say he's not in my style it's not the way I want to move forward with the team but there's a huge creative spark that's absent without him and you just wonder um, as Davey said touched on the Ozil thing and the Pogba earlier I just like is it is Arteta going to have to call him back in from the cold I'm interested to see what you think like they're hovering above the relegation zone um, do you think Arteta could potentially lose his job this season or will they keep the fate with him and just see this as a blip? Like I think we said when we were speaking to Gareth in the Arsenal chat a couple of months ago that I was surprised they didn't give Arteta the job after Wenger yeah. and that that seemed like the plan and ultimately they didn't go that direction and this seemed, almost seemed like a retread where they said let's, let's fix that we should have given him the job then and whether they can back him as much as say Frank Lampard has been backed. I don't think Arsenal will ever be in a financial position to do that. But I thought the Thomas Partey signing was significant that, right, you know, we're, we're impressed by what he did in the FA Cup. You know, this is almost like our, a proof that um, we think we can kick on to the next level. And it looked like they were going to do that. And then the North London derby, I don't want to be too critical of Thomas Partey, but uh, when he walked off the pitch before the goal, I know he was injured, but like, you almost have to at least give the impression that you're still on the pitch to maybe like would Spurs have been so cavalier in their counter-attack if they didn't realise he was, you know, sort of leaving his duties. That's the kind of thing on your point about the, the foul throws. I just don't think that happens in a well-run team or a well-run club. You just don't, you don't see that happening. And I'd like to, I'm sort of willing Arteta to do well because um, I like the brand of football he's trying to implement. And he's in this unique position where, 90% of his tenure, if not more, has been without fans. You know what I mean? Like, I think he had a couple of away games um, where they didn't get any victories. They, they beat United at the Emirates in January, had a couple of months after that, and then we all know what happened. I think he, in fact, was the, the watershed moment for football in this part of the world where he tested positive for COVID-19 and that sort of set in motion everything where the season came into lockdown. But it's such a unique atmosphere. Whether the Arsenal fans would actually be of any benefit to him, we know how um, is fickle the right word, but they they're not um, they're not afraid to boo their managers at the at the drop of a hat. So I just think he needs to be given more time, not just uh, in terms of the product in the field, but he hasn't really got a chance to put his stamp on things yet. The Aubameyang thing felt like a key signing, and for all the world, it seemed like he was going to leave. And I, I still think that was a positive move, but can you play Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same team? I think the fact that Lacazette was dropped against um, Southampton would suggest that Arteta is coming to the realisation that you probably can't. Is there any value in playing Aubameyang on the left wing just to accommodate Lacazette? I don't think so. You have to get your best players in their best position. So this season seems like a write-off already, but hopefully... On the whole, I think um, Arteta will be able to turn things around at Arsenal. Yeah, I think, especially just the indiscipline, like the red cards, you said that Partey thing, like, yeah, that's shaking your head at that. And I think they're just picking up these needless, like Gabriel, these petulant bookings are then leading to red cards. Um, that'd be the big worry for me, that uh, he came with a reputation as quite a disciplinarian, Arteta, and it was my way, or like there, there was no room for error or for kind of petulance allegedly but we're seeing a lot of that kind of taking shape on the pitch so Davey I, what do you think the the aim is now is it just 
try and push in the cup competitions and finish mid-table or do you think they can still get a Europa League place? Like how far, are they too far adrift now to challenge at the top end? Yeah, I think at, at the moment it's really same face. I think what they've, you know, they're, they're only a few points above the relegation zone. It really is a, it's a disaster of a, of a Premier League season. Um, maybe looking at Europa League as a possibility for um challenging for the sorry uh, looking at, at the Europa League as a possibility for getting Champions League football next season but yeah I think um Arteta hasn't done an amazing job but I think you know you look at the way that Arsenal have been managed um and the sort of recruitment and um, the allocation of wages it's it's amazing um I think William was was looking for somebody to take the hit and somebody to fall for his his wage demands, and Arsenal took it. Um, and when you consider that William, David Luiz, um, Aubameyang, and Ozil are probably on more than a million pounds a week between them all, and what what reward are Arsenal getting for for all that? You know, um, like a lot of Arsenal's good player be you know they they have some good young players like. Um, Saka and Akedia. Um I'd like to say Maitland Niles play more, um, but you know they have. It's it's so different to how Arsenal operated under David Dean and Wenger for years. You know I think um, Aubameyang. Um, you know he's still a brilliant player, but you know I think um, in the peak Wenger years they would have let Aubameyang go, um, and save the money and. Re- rebuilt, whereas you know now you've got Aubameyang who hasn't played that well this year in his thirties, and you know if if he if he continues to get worse, then they're stuck with him, and they have a lot of players that they're stuck with, they can't get rid of, and um that that comes from more than just Arteta, that comes from uh you know behind the scenes of the club. Finally, then just on speaking of managers under pressure, like we've mentioned, Solskjaer and Arteta. Um, one manager didn't last uh, the first casualty is Slavon Bilic as you alluded to earlier on and after a commendable 1-1 draw that the Eddie had against Manchester City um, he's been sacked and replaced by Sam Allardyce what are your thoughts on that do you think our West Brom the current bottom three I think Sheffield and West Brom are looking Sheffield are looking on, they've been very unfortunate I think as well but uh, it's not looking good for them do you think Allardyce will keep West Brom up he's got the record to suggest that he will and uh, like we're kind of in an unusual position coming into January where normally stuff sort of set in stone but given that the season started a few weeks later it, it almost plays a trick with your mind where that whole adage that if you're bottom at Christmas you have no chance of getting out it doesn't quite apply this time but West Brom as you mentioned there Sheffield United I feel like the one point isn't reflective of how they're playing I think they actually are defending resolutely still on them for the most part, I know they had a heavy defeat last weekend, but they're just not scoring. And like last season, they were they were nicking goals and, and getting points and three points here and there. That's just not happening for them. They might be able to turn that around. West Brom have looked a bit um, loose or like like they play nice football, but you can you can really get at them. And I don't think many people could say that about Sam Allardyce's teams. The first thing he's going to do is make them difficult to beat and maybe try and use some of that star power that they do have at the top end of the pitch. Like they have, they have some really good technicians 
in midfield and up front. And obviously our own Caleb Robinson can hopefully chip in with a few key goals. Darrow Shea is one of my favourite Iron players at the moment. I just he's like he's like what John Stones was when he was coming through and I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up playing football at a higher level, even regardless of what happens at West Brom. But like there's no clear awful team. Like I think Fulham, most people looked at the first couple of games of the season and thought uh, Fulham are a banker to, to finish bottom, but we saw it. They played really well against Liverpool. You know, they were worth two or three goals in that game in the first uh, half. Absolutely. And West Brom, it's, it's an unfortunate one for Stavon Village because I actually think as a, as a manager to take your team forward, I would pick him over Sam Allardyce. But in these, this very unique set of circumstances where parachute payments are almost done with and West Brom need to try and stay in the Premier League this year, that it was probably a chance worth taking. The timing of it, as we've touched on a couple of times there, the cynic in me would think that the owners looked at the Man City game and thought, right, we're going to lose that game like 6-0, so it's a good uh, excuse to, to get rid of Billage. And it turned out that they put in a performance of the season and then um, he still gets sacked. So the timing of it seems weird, but I have to say I would, have, uh, I would uh, agree with the decision in large part yeah I think like read, I read a good piece on the Athletic today where they're kind of suggesting that there's been a lot of friction between Spillage and the board back to the getting the automatic qualification or promotion last season from the championship where there was disagreements over transfer policies and I think Kagazi was let go who he saw as a key defender and he was he wanted two strikers he didn't get them he wanted loan deals that eventually came over the line done faster so I think it's kind of been building for a while and then we're in lockdown, things kind of that exacerbate the whole thing, the COVID delay. So I think it's been brewing for a while. It's not as knee-jerk as it seems, but yeah, I think Bilic, I think is a good manager and he's quite an infectious guy. Fans always seem to take to him, but he's had a couple of unlucky kind of endings now in the Premier League. So you wonder what's next for him. But she said like Allardyce is a, it's a short-term fix at best. So well, I suppose it's early enough in the season, at least they've acted now, where, I don't know, David, do you, you fancy them to beat the drop now with Allardyce on board with his kind of experience? Um, definitely gives them a good chance. I think um, already, I think there's, a, you know, the relegation places are kind of, it's, it's going to be sort of three from four or five. Um, Arsenal aren't going to get relegated. Um, I'll, I'll say that now, might be famous last words, but um, I think Brighton have been really very unlucky at various times. I think they play very nice football and haven't got the results to deserve. But it's kind of the last few weeks they've kind of they haven't separated themselves from that drop. So um, Sheffield United look like they're going to go down um, unless there's a drastic improvement. So it's three between Burnley, West Brom, Fulham, and Brighton and. Um, it will just. It looks like a. If if it was a, du- a match between Burnley and West Brom to decide the relegation, we can imagine that would be the the worst game of all time. But uh, it uh, it would come down to whoever could flick it on um, in the last minute from a corner or something. But um, it's it's going to be a dogfight for for that last relegation place. Isn't it? I saw someone saying that West Brom play Leeds in a couple of games, and you can just imagine if Allardyce beats Bielsa. The press conference will be entertaining. If, uh, yeah. He'd be dying to shut up the, the Bielsa Brigade. Yeah. Yeah. United, Leeds, United Leeds should be a, a good game on Sunday. We'll probably be able to 
to talk about that, which will inevitably be like five five. But we should talk about um also this weekend, lads. It's kind of flown under the radar, which seems a bit ridiculous to say that the All Ireland final is on um, Saturday, the nineteenth of December. And David, I'll go to you first because unfortunately Mead had a a first hand view, as all of us in, in Leinster have had in the last um, decade or so, that um, this Dublin juggernaut. It doesn't really matter what the personnel looks like, you know, long gone are the days of of Paul Flynn and, and the Brogans, but they just keep churning them out and Brian Fenton, Kirk Kenny would probably get in any Dublin team of any era. So the bookies would suggest that this is a very much a sure thing for Dublin. Mayo have proven the bookies wrong in the past, but what are your thoughts going into going into Saturday evening's game? I think like the Leinster Township is virtually a typical form of the stuff he's already dead meme the Simpsons. But um, <laughs> so I don't think we can judge it's harsh to judge, I think, any of the other counties opposing Dublin, and you can't really judge Dublin on those performances either. I think Mayo have the tools to pose them problems, but I can't see beyond Dublin. I think it'll be a fascinating game for a lot of reasons. Um, I think Mayo are quite dynamic, but I just worry, like their game against Tipperary was fantastic watch, but I just worry they were so open at the back, and I think Tipperary let some goal chances go begging, whereas I don't think Dublin, Dublin are so clinical. They'll just grab you by the throat and they'll like you could see someone like Conor Call and Dean Rock Berry in the game. It, it could be one of those games of the first 15 minutes is a, a goal ferry and it could be plain sailing from Dublin from there. Um, I think we all want to see a tight game. Killian O'Connor being in such good form is obviously a huge boost for Mayo. He seems to be over the worst of his injuries. Tommy Conroy has been a fantastic find. And again, O'Shea in the full forward line. Like there seems to be this like faint flicker of hope that people have is that this Dublin full back line which has kind of been alleged for about 10 years that that's their weak link but is yet to be really exposed they're still they're going for six in a row so it can't be too bad but I think that's a full forward line that really if anyone's going to cause Dublin problems probably going to be them and I just think we know they can go toe to toe with Dublin and they seem to have the strong enough psychology to kind of hang in with them so it'll, it should be interesting but I think it's hard to look beyond Dublin um, what do you think? Yeah, totally. Like as a neutral, you just kind of want to see a game going into the last quarter where like whatever with the water breaks um, themselves, but coming out of that second water break into the last, last quarter of the game, if, it, if the game's still there to be won, I think most people would settle for that. Mayo have the character about them. Like they were leading at halftime in the semi-final last year and then that 12-minute salvo from Dublin to start the second half is probably the greatest football ever played. So if Dublin can produce something on that level, I don't think anyone's going to be able to live with them. Um, Davey, do you see a path to victory for Mayo? If you were in the Mayo backroom team, what would you be suggesting? How can we get at the dubs? Um, it's, 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 it's a very tough question, I think. Um, you know, it's, it's like then um, unbeatable final boss. You know, they don't really have any weaknesses. There's no, um, you know, there's no like target on them that you can just, you know, immediately <laughs> point at. But um, I, I, I actually, I, I think it will be a tight game. It was, you know, I know, I know Mayo uh, conceded a lot in the in the second half against Tipperary, but I think that was more just the game was over. Um, I was I was impressed by how ruthless they were, especially after Dublin were so ruthless against Cavan and, um, you know, Mayo kind of weren't going anywhere earlier on the season, and then. Um, they had that game against uh, Galway in the league where they just 
blew them away. And ever since then, they've they've looked quite impressive. And Mayo have always given Dublin quite a good game, generally in in finals and semi finals. Um, but generally, there's there's been sort of a point in the second half of every game where Dublin have just had that little bit extra. Um, and it's just really a question of you know. Mayo need to sort of step up to the plate kind of in those moments and it's a lot easier said than done with the quality of, of players that Dublin have but um, you know if, if you if you go back to the time where Mayo lost where they scored two own goals and you know there's been a variety of, of errors at different times and you know if it, they just need to sort of hope for the perfect game or just every every little thing you know, just take it one play at a time and every little thing to go right for them. Um, and, yeah, you know, you never know. It's, it's sort of in, in 2020, it's been a strange year. So, um, Mayo and the, winning the All-Ireland would sort of be fitting into it. Do you think goals will be crucial kind of at both ends? I know, like that 12-minute salvo you mentioned last year, Ronan, I think, like, Dublin tend to kill off these games with, like, quick flurries of goals. And I think Mayo showed against Tip that they can carved defences open do you think it's like a Mayo win hinges on them bagging maybe two or three goals in maybe or getting a couple early goals in the first half do you think they need to get into uh, a strong lead and then try and hold on or do you think it's going to be a game that they kind of come from behind late on to with a late surge to if they were to win how do you see a pan and eight? Yeah it's going to need to be some confluence of extraordinary factors I think one thing one factor that is all is certain is the no fans and whatever, but Dublin obviously know the dimensions of Crow Park better than anyone, but, you know, that's a real thing, the uh, the home advantage that they have with the fans. And even on the flip side, Mayo, even watching those games on TV, you could feel almost the frenzied atmosphere where Mayo, people in the crowd are losing their minds at the prospect of actually winning the All-Ireland. Like, you'd like to think Dublin, or Mayo will be a lot more measured on Saturday and they won't be distracted by those sort of outside forces. Um, you, just, you almost have to presume Dublin are going to put up 23 points total between between goals and points. So that's the sort yeah. of tally you need to get to that or beat it. And also pray that it's like torrential rain and that's some sort of level or where the skill deficit is sort of maybe lessened a little bit. But Mayo, for the first time in a long time, have strength and depth. They have scores in all the four positions. They have good midfield and replenished defence where it used to be the Lee Keegan show, but they've actually got some very dynamic halfbacks now. So I think on paper it should be a good game, but you know, with Dublin, you just uh, you never know if it does turn out to be another blowout. I don't think any of us will be overly surprised. 